0: Here's the big question.
1: Rigging the Game Podcast. If
0: you're looking to change your family tree, redefine an industry, reach new limits, or live an unconventional life, how are are you setting yourself up to guarantee this will happen? This podcast is going to cut through all the cliche, cookie cutter, and conventional recommendations about finance, business, and life and give you the tips you need to get the outcomes you want while playing your game. I'm Dan Nicholson, and this is, is, is the Rigging the Game Podcast. Rigging the Game. How's it going? Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Dan. Thanks so much for having me. Honored, honored to be here. So uh, we're recording this on March 18th, right in the uh, throes of the coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. You're in your home office. I'm uh, in my office with everybody kicked out, so that <laughs> it's like a my own little private fortress of solitude over here with uh, pretty much everyone out except for my daughter who's with me today so every <laughs> once in a while you might hear her like singing singing in the background i, I welcome it <laughs> so yeah i just want to kind of uh dive right in and and uh talk about what it is that that you do and then kind of dig in and into what led you to the, to, to that path that you're on currently Okay. Wouldn't mind uh, just kind of sharing what it is that you do. All right. So um, technically uh, when I started in the business
1: and the name has has changed many times over, it started as as a stockbroker way back when I'm kind of dating myself. And stockbroker morphed into financial consultant, financial advisor, wealth advisor, um, I guess now I'm considered a wealth advisor. Um, I'm also a portfolio manager, certified portfolio manager from the uh, from Columbia um, University. Um, and um, but what I've been doing, very you know, that that's been just a bit different from the rest of the advisors out there is just developing a team to um, uh, to, to just, just to make sure that. I'm delivering what clients want, and a team where the the, the term family office is, is is used quite a bit, but that's exactly what it is. It's a family office, which typically is a a team for billionaires where they hire their own people to do to work exclusively for them. I felt like there's a lot of individuals who are not billionaires, maybe uh, you know nine figure individuals, eight figure individuals who. Um, need those types of uh, services need those types of complex strategies so um, that's that 's what i 've been doing lately
0: and what led you down that path? What was it that interested you initially in being a stockbroker and then now kind of morphing into the family office
1: um, i think it, I think it goes down you know there 's way back when. I can think of, you know, how the method of this madness came about. And back when I was a really young kid in San Francisco, my family owned a restaurant called Louisa Grand Avenue. It was just, I think at the time it was the biggest restaurant, uh, Chinese restaurant in Chinatown. It was like right in the heart of Chinatown. As a kid, uh, it was amazing because, you know, think Panda Express 10 times better at your fingertips for free. The vivid memories I have that were, were taking my, uh, I'm half Chinese, but my non-Chinese are actually my ca- my Caucasian friends down there and doing our own little fear factor game um, where I'd say, hey, uh, I bet I can out-eat the, the number of pig intestines, duck feet, and chicken brains before, you, you know, and I, there's no way I'm going to puke. And I'd always win at that game. But game You know, you call it rigging the game. That's exactly rigging the game. Um, but that was... <laughs> you know, those, those memories are, are amazing. Cause we used to, I used to do that with friends and it was a family gathering place. It's a place where I also learned how to build a business. And we talk in this day and age of essentialism and the one thing, those are a couple books so good that they can't ignore you where you do one thing really well. And my uncle was kind of the chief growth officer. He, he knew if you fill the banquet room up, upstairs, and there, there could be uh, fire marshals at five hundred we put six fifty up there and uh, if you fill that up one time a month, everything thereafter was was profit. Um, he knew exactly what to do. he was never in the restaurant uh, rarely he was actually out and about getting people and in Chinese culture if you if you if you're someone in your family dies, gets married or turns thirty days old red celebration, they love to gather family they love to gather people who think they're family, into a large room and eat a lot of food. Um, so everything was going great at the time, and my aunt, who was the chief operating officer, was, was amazing at doing the day-to-day. Fast forward, I go to college, I'm studying to be actually a portfolio manager, stockbroker, and all of a sudden, my um, uncle passes away. And um, I knew how connected he was to... Uh, the community when they pretty much closed Chinatown from his funeral. Two years after that, my aunt, who was a chief operating officer, amazing, amazing what she did. Uh, we had to we had to close the restaurant because there was no growth. Obviously, um, come to find out too that you know maybe they could have had better professionals. I just remember vividly my mom would do some of the taxes um, after she came home from her day job of being not an accountant but a school teacher. And love my mom to pieces, but you know when you have an entity, when you have a business that big, you have to have the right professional. So I started off in the business doing what I'm doing just because I enjoy just the number side. I enjoy... My mom actually had me buy a stock at the age of eight, and uh, uh, from that point on, I was just hooked. But it became more than that when I started the business, and, and before family office became an actual term, which I alluded to. That's what I was creating pretty much early on. Uh,
0: several questions that pop uh, into my head. And the most pressing one was, so how many, you said pig brain, chicken feet. Uh-huh. Uh List of What's the most you've ever, in terms of okay. quantity. So we always had a record. That's the PR, personal record.
1: Yeah, PR. So we always had a, 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 um, a plethora of, of, I think it was cow intestines. Actually, that was the one where you can just throw that in the middle of the table. Okay. And they didn't know the trick. The trick is you put soy sauce on it. So it masks exactly what you're, so I could bet basically eat almost a pound of that in one sitting.
0: Okay.
1: Um, no one comes close. I think three bites is one of my friends and, and he <laughs> ran right into the bathroom duck feet, which also we have a ton of, uh, duck feet, I can go all day on that. It's really like as hungry as I can Yeah, I think the record on duck feet, and this was actually not in a contest. It was just, you know, I was at dim sum with my family. I was just really hungry, and that was all that was on the table. It was probably some in the neighborhood of over 25. So uh, wow. 25 ducks, and what is that, six ducks? It's quite a bit. so. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. Wow. Speechless. So there's the... The strategy, this, is a, this is actually a good rigging the game example here. So on the, the there's a cow intestine, or a, your move was you soak it in soy sauce or you dip it in soy sauce. And so everyone else is just eating it direct and you're just you're dipping it in soy sauce. Now,
1: yeah, they're just looking at it and you dip it in something you really like and you taste yeah. whatever that is. So in this day and age, what I would probably do is a mixture of uh, sesame oil, soy sauce, and sriracha sauce. And I could probably go all day on that. You know, kind of what, uh, um, you know, kind of before the time, I remember on Fear Factor, they used to to do these techniques as well. So Yeah,
0: Yeah, it's an amazing uh, tip just in terms of, I don't think, uh, it was maybe a year or two ago I was listening to… the sporkful podcast. Have you ever heard of the sporkful? Oh, right, right, right. But I hadn't really thought about how uh, just the position of putting food into your mouth impacts like your enjoyment. So, like, if you really want to taste, like, if you're eating a donut and you really like the frosting, like, you should actually flip the donut over so that the frosting is going directly onto your tongue. But most of <laughs> us are not doing that because. Interesting, yes. <laughs> counterintuitive, like you don't want to get the frosting on your hand. Um, but really the tongue is where the like most amount of your uh, <laughs> taste buds are. So <laughs> you wanna like actually whatever is your favorite parts if you're eating uh this might be kind of controversial, but if you're eating pizza, maybe you fold it in half or maybe you flip the slice over so that the pepperoni and the cheese is going directly onto so, same thing. I'm imagining with the uh, the cow voice <laughs> uh, or whatever. And you want to put that part onto your tongue, so you're, that's what you're tasting while you're like chewing the rest. <laughs> so, just, just rigging the game with uh, absolutely any way you can. Right, any way you can. Trying to make the most of what you got. Okay, so you see the the this thriving family business. Mm-hmm. But and as things start to wind down, you realize there was just a lot of uh, room to optimize because they weren't using necessarily professionals in various areas uh, to help them kind of optimize their situation, and so you wanted to to do something different with uh, uh, with your career and make sure that that's you're providing that level of service to other other business owners, right? So what what do you think it is uh, that in terms of your approach, that uh, kind of separates you from from the other wealth advisors or stockbrokers? because you've assembled this. I've seen the I've seen the map of all of all mm-hmm. these people. You've assembled this incredible team of resources that go well beyond just wealth advisors. You've got expert physicians. This whole whole range of professionals you're bringing on. So. Uh, what is it that, how'd you figure that out? And what is it that, that, uh, that you're doing other wealth advisors are, are missing?
1: You know, I, I I'm going to, I'm going to use one of your guys that you, you interviewed your coach, uh, Randy Massingale because it, it, it hit home and, and that's a really good question. So it, it made me think, and you know, Massingale wanted to, to, the question that he, he asked of me when he was on your podcast was, you know, think back to the sports that you played. And, you know, Dan, I played soccer, basketball, and baseball, but think about the ones that just really meant you really enjoyed doing. And the one sport that I seriously enjoyed doing that I just shredded, dominated on was uh, football, which we didn't have a football team on my high school. Um, I because I, I would play it. It's kind of, you know, schoolyard football. I, had, I come from a large family of 99 cousins. Oh, wow. um, and I was probably the I'm definitely the youngest one when we would play football. But I so I had to learn just different ways and utilizing my, my talents really fast. And I also can do just one or two things really well. So fast forward, it's a sophomore picnic, and there's all of us out there We're playing a game of football. And I actually, you know, I'm talking about the, the you know, top soccer players on, in the sophomore class, and I'm just going one-on-one with, with – uh, I remember the guy who was Paul Graff. He was a really fast guy. And I'm burning him. Touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. And then they double team me. They put another guy on me. And then I discovered that I can't burn them because it's a cover two. I'm, I'm just going to go and, and, and throw it up in the air and catch it. And, and that's what I did. I did it continuously. And I said, why do I like being the receiver? You know, why do I like doing the things that, you know, and, and what I gathered was the fact that what I thrive on and the reason why I built this team, it was always asking, okay, how can I utilize what I'm really good at And forget the rest. So I'm not going to block. I have a good arm, but I'm not going to throw the ball. But I've got speed, and I can jump, and I'm going to figure a way out to to win. And then it it becomes, I don't know, my competitive nature comes in. And it's just like, well, now I'm really good at this, but now I want to be amazingly good, off the charts good. How can I do this even more? Um, So carry over into the um my business and that's kind of how it started Dan it was like you know in in our business I think it's different levels I think where well definitely where I came from it's different levels you go from having a having different people around you and then you always ask okay now I'm kind of ahead of most of most of my competition how can i get better and just like you dan we're kind of in that you know financial world when you get into the business you learn all sorts of technical strategies right you learn you know like for example both you and i if a person wants to not pay any any kind of taxes any kind of capital gains when they sell their company we kind of we know what to do it, you know if a person wants to like decrease their income taxes and benefit their company we we know how to do that we have those technical aspects, which, you know, I became so immersed in. And I thought that was, okay, now I'm ahead of the competition. Now I'm, I'm doing really great things for my clients. And pretty much if there's anything to be done from creating tax efficiency or anything else for the client, we can do that. But then, um, you know, the other thing is, too, we just spill a lot of time, energy, consultants, you know, education, degrees onto all these technicalities, which for most people is like, Oh, that's, you know, that, that, that seems to work and you just stop there. But that's actually the, the technical stuff is not what's most important I feel. And that's, this is where it turned. And this is why I went from just, you know, a handful or actually a dozen of professionals to 50 plus is because I started to look at things a little bit differently and it's not the technical strategies, all the sophisticated, complex solutions you can do for clients. What really matters is delivering what exactly the client wants, what the client wants. And through doing this process over and over again, I found that the real value, my real value is understanding with the people I'm dealing with, what they really want to need and just really diving deep into like all the insights of their goals and their needs, situation concerns, anxieties, what they really want to accomplish. And sometimes these, these, these things take time to develop. Um, and, and then turning around and realizing that there's lots of ways to get from a, a to B. Um, but it, for, for me, it's putting that package together with all the individuals I have under my belt. And, um, with, with all the insights of that person involved and then coming up with, with just the optimal, optimal solution. Um, and you know, you mentioned medical doctors. The reason why I added so many individuals on that list is, is because clients have had that problem in the past. Okay. And, um, I'll just expand on what you just talked about then. So yeah, there's 50, three right now, 53 best of the best individuals, you included on there, where pretty much these come from family, these come from clients who got to accomplish almost everything but fell short on maybe one thing. And I'll tell you, the reason why I have private medical on there, I had a really good client that sold his business a few years ago, worked his um, his whole life and he was he was selling his business specifically because his children were starting to have grandchildren. He want to spend more time with these grandchildren. Well, we kind of know what's gonna come down the pipe. Where three months after that he was complaining of his stomach problems. Mm-hmm. A couple weeks after that, he was diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer. And then two and a half months after that, he passed away. He passed away having enough money to last him and his wife an entire lifetime and probably two generations after that. So I said, what good did I do? I sold his, you know, helped him sell his company without paying taxes, but that didn't really matter. So right after that, I got in, I started going up the ladder and just asking my top clients, you know, the ones that were working with private medical people, started talking with my existing, you know, family office network and got to Dr. Carlin on that. You know, I also have a, a, a person that will, point you in the right direction for, for, for private aviation for the reason that a client of mine came to me and said, Hey, I need to, yeah, uh, what do you, what do you know about net And I was like, Hey, it looks good. And then I discovered there's like 400 different programs out there. So Craig Ross, Craig Ross is, is one that can find customize the right jet program for you. So pretty much under uh, everything under the sun and there's um Flynn family office takes care of everything that, is there kind of like a catch-all along with uh, someone I just added to the network, Michelle St. Clair, who um, has her own concierge um, division. And those weird, wacky, middle-of-the-line phone calls, I need a security guard standing right outside my, my, my door, uh, don't, don't ask why. And that's where these people can deliver. So pretty much anything under the sun.
0: Yeah, it seems like you keep coming back to, to what's the point, like the through line when I listen listen to your story is, hey, you grew this great family uh, restaurant, but at the end of the day, like, what was the point? Did the family really get what they needed and wanted out of it? And then you had that example of the client who you helped exit from the business, and then tragically they uh, passed away several months later. And what was the point? Uh, it seems to be kind of this prevailing question uh that that you come back to and mm-hmm. uh, and i come back to that as well of what are we really optimizing for like, yeah where do you think that comes from has that always been part of of your thought process
1: you know i i just think that y- y- you bring up a, and, and that kind of hit something you know i am and i know you just because of, of you know we're similar in this in that um, we like to put goals out there, right? We're very, very goal-oriented. And um, this goes back to like, geez, when I started my career and listened to Anthony Robbins' personal power, but I've always had a coach. I've always, right now I have four. So I've been, I've been a student in, you know, achievement and how to, reasons why to accomplish. And it just was a process, Dan, where I felt like, if there is a reason behind it, you know, we all were like, Oh yeah, I love to double my revenue. But what the, what actually is the reason behind that? Right. Let me tell you a little story on, on the, the kind of puts this into perspective. And I'm, again, I'm going to talk about Chinese food, but it's not about the restaurant. <laughs> so my first experience with this business now, I've always wanted to be a portfolio manager, stockbroker, whatever. I wanted to deal with money and one day I saw, or I heard, overheard that my mom's sixth grade student, she was a teacher all her life, was this big wig at Merrill Lynch. And his name is Kelly J. Uh, I should give him a call, actually. So at the age of 20, I called Kelly. I cold called him. And I said, "During spring break, and I said, hey, Kelly, my mom taught you in sixth grade and your brother, Gilbert, can I intern for you? I don't need any money. I just want to follow you around. And he's like, Sure you know, I really had to fight for it. So I get, I get, I get to be an intern. And before Microsoft Excel was, was in the works, I created a program that was very a, a macro that basically figured out every single formula, you know, number that you can come up with bond portfolios. He was blown away and he says, okay, kid, that's great. Um, I want to see what you can do. What are you doing tonight? And I said, Oh, great. I'm going to get to go to dinner with a client. Maybe silly me. He says, well, you're going to go to the Oakland Coliseum. I'm like, cool, I'm going to get to, you know, because he, he dealt with clients out of the Oakland Coliseum. You know, he had a couple of Oakland A's. And he says, go report to, to this guy, Wes. And I'm, so I go back, and I'm running back, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is so cool. I'm actually dressed like I'm going to a meeting. So I had no idea, but Kelly also owned this Chinese restaurant again, and they, they, they had a concession stand. And Wes was a manager. And I said, hey, Wes, I'm, I'm here. Where, where should I go? Onto the field? or?" And he says, no, no, put this hat on and put this bib on and carry this thing around and sell pork buttons. And, and it's also known in my community as Chasu Bao. And I was like, oh, yeah, Chasu Bao. And uh, that's that was my job. And I'm earning $5 an hour, and you get bonuses. So I asked, now, I wanted to impress Kelly like crazy, just because it's like, if I can impress him, then... You know, when I graduate, you know, that's 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 a job for me. Yeah. So I would do anything possible. So I told I looked at West and I said, Hey, um, uh, what's the record on the number of uh of pork one song? And he said sixty-one, incidentally, Roger Maris' home run record. So I said, by the time the summer's over, I'm gonna beat that by a lot. And he started laughing. He's like, good luck, kid, whatever. Um, just go sell pork buns. So I go out there and I find the Pizza Hut guy who looks like he's been there forever. Right? And I said, hey, man, can you, I'm first day on the job. And he goes, sure. He goes, you have a unique product. Be loud, be crazy, say things that, you know, just, just anything. And don't talk to the players. I'm like sure, so I start talking to, I start saying, hey, pork buns, it's an aphrodisiac, you know, for for younger couples, and and you know, this one guy actually bought three of them, and I was like, yeah, improve your improve your drive, all all kinds of things, and so was was just starting killing it, and so I go down towards the 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 Royals bench, or we playing the Royals that night, and I and I and I see this guy, may have heard of him, Bo Jackson, kind of sitting on the steps, and I'm like hey Bo and I think he was injured at the time because he wasn't playing and it was in between innings I say hey Bo can you do me a huge favor and he goes we can't eat on the field my man and I said no 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 no. I, I give them to you I wouldn't sell them to you but can you yell up this row and just say just say buy pork from- b- buns from this kid and he goes sure thing can he goes buy pork buns from this kid and everyone starts going yeah 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 so you know I, I sold so many that I had to go back. And, and by the time the night was over, Wes comes up to me, the manager, and he says, hey, kid, you sold 75 freaking pork buns. What the heck? And so I broke the record there. And the point is is that the reason I wanted it wasn't to sell pork buns, wasn't to try to meet Bo Jackson, but it was just mainly because I wanted to press the heck of this guy because I knew behind that. You know, breaking the record by 14, I was a sure-to-spot on his bench after, you know, after I graduated, yeah. you know, which is what happened, actually.
0: So just to rewind a little bit, so you, you go to this, you go to, the, you go to the stadium and you're anticipating that you're going to do something, like, client-related, and you find out that you're going to be selling pork buns. What, yeah. Cause, what is the internal dialogue going That takes an incredible amount of humility to to uh, just go, all right, cool. Challenge accepted. What was the, do you recall the internal dialogue you were having in that? I was so excited. In fact, Dan,
1: I I have to admit, I made a call to one of my friends and it was like, I I was driving. Oh my God. It was like this, it was a very old car, right? That was, was, it was a Mazda 66. And my friend had a, had a really, really nice, I think it was an Audi or some kind of car like that. And I called him up, but he was, you know, he was going somewhere. And I was like, can I please borrow a car just in case, you know, that ball player might want to ride in my car. So I'm thinking, so this is what exactly is going through my mind. So Kelly was the type of guy that would tell you all the famous clients that he worked with. So I knew some NBA people. I knew the Oakland A's. I knew some of the individuals that he was like really, really big names. And so I'm thinking, oh, man, it must be, you know, it must be this guy. And so uh, I was like, okay, what, what am I going to say if it's this guy? So I'm preparing the dialogue in terms of like, okay, you're not going to say I'm a big fan. You, you bring something up that, that tells them that you're not just the, 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 the fan, the, the average fan. So I'm thinking about six different guys that, that I'm going to meet. And then I said, oh, so I'm going to this guy, and he's, he's, he's Kelly's assistant, of course, and he's going to take me down to the field or, you know, wherever we're meeting these guys. Um, so, yeah, that's what was going on. I was convinced, you know, 20-year-old me, you know, three weeks in the business that knows how to program um,
0: is going to meet, you know, some of the bigger clients of this guy. So you get there, though, and you find out you're selling pork buns. And you're like, all right. I'm selling pork buns. Were you pissed about that? Were you, I mean, what was your reaction?
1: Initially, yeah. You know, this is before WTF became WTF. That's, that's the first thing that came into my mind. But then I said, you know, just like I may have talked to you about this, it's the questions that you ask, right? It's like this whole Tony Robinson, what's, what's great about this? What's great about this is I can crush that record. I can impress this guy utilizing my strengths, And um, I have nothing to lose, right? Mm. And just me being here shows them I'm committed. But if I can elevate that, man, Wes is going to – so my my next thing was how can I make Wes go back to Kelly and say, this dude's an all-star. You know, I even got creative because I noticed that guys were just kind of waiting for the pork buns to be loaded. So I got friendly with a girl there, and um, I said – can you do me a favor because it's looking like every 15, 20 minutes I have, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm selling these things and coming back. Can you have some, can you have it loaded for me? Cause there's an extra one right there. And she goes, yeah, sure thing. So I literally saved about 10 to 15 minutes each time. I'd come back and she'd point to it. I'd get, go, go out there. And then same thing, repeat the process.
0: And then how do you have the gumption to walk up to Bo Jackson and ask him to call out pork buns.
1: I, Dan, I think I was so convinced that I was meeting a, I'm, I was meeting a ball player. And even back then I was into visualization. So I was, I'm visualizing talking to a ball player and it's like, fuck, well, I, I might as well do it. I might as well like, uh, sorry for the word. I, I, I might as well um, talk to a ball player cause I've already visualized it in my head. And It was almost like it was a little surreal because the guy, you know, the Pizza Hut guy says, Don't talk to ball players. And I'm like, Well, what's the worst thing that can happen? Don't do it again. Right. And why not? Bo Jackson. I mean, what can he say? And it was almost like watching somebody else, you know, it's like, Oh my God, I'm talking. I'm talking. I'm talking to Bo Jackson and I'm telling him what I want. And before I knew it, you know, he shouted that.
0: Yeah, there's so much internal narrative that we build up this whole whole circumstance as if Bo Jackson is going to think about it 20 seconds after you ask him, right? Like if he says no, he's not stewing. No, exactly. Like like I can't believe the guy selling pork buns asked me to yell out, buy some pork buns. Like he's not spending all this time getting worked up over it, right? Most likely There's, there's very little downside risk.
1: No, that's true. And I think I shocked him too. Cause it's like nobody, you know, it's like no one's talking to them, right? No one, you know, they're, they're a little intimidated.
0: Yeah. I always think that uh, if you treat a celebrity or athlete, like they're a normal person, that they're so surprised by that, that they're, they're almost as in as much shock as, as you are when you're meeting a celebrity where they're just like, they're not doing an awing over me.
1: That's so true, man. And it's, it's one of those things is like, when you want to accomplish something, when you want, you know, in this case, I wanted to break the record so bad. It's yeah. like, whatever it takes, right? Yep. <laughs> whatever I got to do.
0: <laughs> whatever So one of the other things you were saying when, when you were talking about how you've, how you kind of figured out the building out your team and why that's important is you were, you were mentioning really figuring out what your clients want. And that's been a theme in some other, other conversations as well, trying to get to the essence of what people want, which on the surface seems simple. You're asking, what do you want? But in actuality, quite difficult, right? Because they may Mm -hmm. think they want something, but it's actually an entirely different thing that they want that they didn't really know that they wanted. So how do you figure that out? Well, Dan, like your process, like you, I have,
1: I have principles and this comes from, you know, I really, um, appreciate just the, the people that are around me, you know, specifically the coaches, like you and I work with Nick, Nick Peterson, and then, um, you know, Russ Allen Prince and the two of them really have gotten me to a level where it's, so these are the things I, I, I think about. In fact, there's a mantra that I, that I have on the way to a meeting right before a meeting. And it's, speak 20% of the time, the other person speaks 80% of the time. So I'm not there to tell them what I can do because I'm not the type of guy that's going to take a product off the shelf and say, Hey, here, this fits. It's like, there's a lot of things on the shelf. Listen, there's a lot of people there too. The other thing is, you know, just keep on going with it. You know, I think so many people have that seven question rule where you say, you know, what do you want out of life? And then they say, Oh, I want a lot of money. Why do you want a lot of money? I, I keep going because a lot of times everybody wants, you know, it, it's almost like when I start in the business, you ask the client what they want. I want to retire at 65 with a lot of money and leave my kids a lot of money. Right. But then it's like the same answer. So you're doing the same plans for the same clients, you know, pretty much with the same goals. But when you really dig deep into them, and you start to ask them questions, and that's where the 2080 comes into play. When they're talking 80% of the time, and you just keep asking questions when you're 100% intentionally curious about them, and the, 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 the reason why you're asking these questions is not so that you can sell them product, but on the flip side, to see how much you can help them then it becomes, then people are sharing so much things, you know, like the, the lots of money thing, you know, typical client is selling their business, right? And you're like, why are you selling your business? And it's like, well, I want to, I want to sell it for the most and not pay taxes. Well, everybody, right? I don't, I had never found a business owner that said, yeah, I'd love to pay the most taxes. So after that, it becomes like, well, why now? Why now? Well, you start to find out certain things, you know, for example, one of my clients, well, my dad, my dad worked his tail off in his business and he was never home and I don't really get to know him. And I want to be there for my kids when, when at least when they're teenagers and they're young enough to remember, you know, to, to, to have an impact on them or my dad and that same client, my dad died, you know, at the age of 54 and I want to retire before that. I want to sell my business before that. And, you know, that's where the medical stuff comes into play, but it's just keep on going down that road and just keep on, you know, why is that important to you? Um, it's typically not just for the money as, as you and I know, it's always something underneath that, you know, just like with me, it's like, I want to, yeah, I have numeric goals in my business, but if you dig deep enough, you're going to find out. It's not about the, the, the money. It's not about having a bigger bank account. There's always something underlying that burns
0: me to keep on going. And that's the same thing with a lot of our clients as well. Yeah. Do you find any tools or tricks to, to kind of warm people up to being vulnerable? And just as some framing, uh, because a lot of my process is asking folks, what are, what are your priorities? What are we trying to fund? And the initial pass is something very high level, mm-hmm. like I want to retire uh, so there's some ways that i kind of approached it over the years to, to warm them up to, uh, being a bit more vulnerable. Do you have any tips, tricks, things that, that you do, uh, with that you find kind of gives people permission to share those, those deeper, deeper reasons? It's a good question. So, yeah, I think of
1: course, you know, getting Brene Brownish a little here, but you know, when you control vulnerable side, that's, that's when it kind of opens them up. The other thing is that I think I've been doing this for so long and really refining that fact-finding, discovery, questioning process that I will tell them the more they reveal and share with me, the better job I'm going to do for them. The more that they reveal to me, uh, I'll do a better job for them. So I think having that in mind – And, um, when that does happen, I'll, I'll give you a couple, couple examples of, of of that. I think back in, this is about seven years ago, I got a divorce and, um, I was really ashamed of that partly because of my culture, but I noticed something right off the bat. It slipped one day with a client and I noticed something interesting is that this is a client I've known for 10 years at the time, I said, oh, I I said something about the kids in custody, and it's like, oh, shoot, I revealed that to them. I mean, what was I thinking, right? It's like (laughs) they're going to find out someday. But right then and there, it was one of those, oh, my gosh, I've never had this in-depth conversation with this client. And because of that, I was able to do a much better job for them just because they revealed some stuff like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know how you felt about these things. So, um, and the the other is just to, you know, provide them with example and just be, you know, just be mindful of of being confidential. Um, And I think once you start to have the mindset of, I'm curious because I want to see how much I can help you. And it's not, instead of, you know, I'll admit early on in my career, I'm curious because I want you to transfer your account to me, but it's, I'm curious because the more I dig, I think the more I can really help you and do things that you haven't been able to do before. So having that mindset, you know, it just allows them to start to really open up a lot.
0: Yeah, there's a small margin between, but it's significant between I'm interested because I want to get you the best products and I'm interested because I want what's best for you. It's like those aren't too far away from each other. That's right, uh, but at the same point, the impact is significant. I guess with that, any final parting words, things that you would want people to know about you or the way that you handle things.
1: Um, you know, I, I just think that, I mean, this is timely, Dan. Um, something, something, you know, with with the COVID nineteen coronavirus. It's just my observation. And I got to say, it's from, from listening to people like you and Nick and, and um, some of the other family office people, you know, Dr. Carlin, it's very easy to get caught up in this stuff, you know, when something like this happens. And believe me, I, w- I went through 2008 meltdown. It's very easy to just sit at the screen, look at every single newspaper and read the same story with, this, with a slightly different take on, uh, on the same story. Very easy to do that. I don't fault anyone to do that. But I made a decision pretty early on um, when this st- thing started to look like it was going to get out of hand just to ask different questions in my brain. What's, you know, for example, what's great about this? How can I help more people in this process? Where, where's the opportunity for my clients in this this situation? I'm not going to go through any investment you know, ideas or or ways to strategize on that. But what I I will say is that a lot of people out there right now are very sad to be working out of home, right? They're bummed. They're they're thinking they're not as productive. It's a shift. Here's my thing, man. And I I think most people should do this when they they come up to a situation like this. Most of us are going to work out of home and that's going to save us a lot of time. So for me, I added up all the time that I'm going to save by working out at home, and I'll, I'll just break it down for you. Eight hours going going to and from my different offices. Six hours going to meetings to and from. Air travel, you know, that's once once every two weeks. And then my social commitments. And here's the big one, you can relate to this. Um, watching the NBA, March Madness, the PGA, MLB, <laughs> and actually, I have to admit the XFL, I don't know why I'm watching that thing, but you know, that's a lot of hours. Okay, minimum, minimum 30 hours, savings right because we're not watching sports on yeah. tv too so the yeah. minimum of all these things added up 30 hours i multiplied by by the eight eight weeks that i'm going to stay at home that's 240 hours wow. 240 hours so finishing my my uh uh you know uh, designation degree through yale uh you know virtually of course i'm gonna learn how to speak mandarin chinese i'm going to improve my business community to cl- clients more often and i'm doing a 30 minute everyday thing you know from from your your lead too um, and just spending a lot more time with the two people that are stuck under my roof with me, my wife and my younger daughter, um, Stella. So. Uh,
0: that's incredible. Thanks for, there. thanks for breaking that down. Yeah, that's awesome. There's so much opportunity in that 240 hours of time to, to make impact uh, in clients' lives and your family's life to, I don't know, do some home repairs that. Uh, yep, Exactly that sells uh, flooring equipment online. And he's like, sales have actually uh, been relatively flat because I think a lot of people are at home and they're like, it's a, it's a product that someone can do their, do themselves. So it's like, hey, if I'm gonna be home for eight weeks, I might as well <laughs> you know, remodel project done or fix the yard or you know all, a number of things that uh, you could look back and say, hey, this was a pretty productive period. Uh, yeah so.
1: plus there's going to be a lot of sports to watch in three months you're going to have like you know you you could possibly have the olympics and the three major sports going on all at the same time but
0: yeah that's a good point get all your stuff done now so you've got the time to watch all that stuff when it comes on later that's right build, build up the points with your spouse <laughs> <laughs> well thanks so much for coming on what's the best way for people to find you uh just go to uh my my uh uh, website
1: which I'll, I'll I'll throw over to you you can also go to uh, my name markfujiwara.com. dot com also I'll, I'll send that over to you, you can put that on the in the show notes but uh, thanks for having me on I really appreciate it
0: yeah thanks for coming on I appreciate it all right talk soon all right thanks Dan yeah. all right thanks Thank you so much for tuning in to the Rigging the Game podcast. You can find show notes and much, much more at www.riggingthegame.com. And remember, you get to set the rules for how you play this game of life. So if you make the rules, why not rig the game to win?